Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Zero bonus episode number 15. Not to be confused with immediate reaction episodes, which is another new thing we do, but this is a bonus episode, which means it's huge, it's gigantic, like everything we do. And this one is all about Black Panther Wakanda forever. I'm your host, Brandon Davis, joined today by Jenna Anderson. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad to talk about this movie with spoilers. I'm so happy because obviously there's so much to unpack. So, Ooh, there is. Aaron Perrine is here. We've been sitting on stuff for like three weeks. Thank God. We're finally here. All right. What's up, everybody? And if your name is Aaron Perrine, you're also sitting on official Marvel Studios promos. The movie percolates with purpose and everybody knows it. Thanks to Aaron Perrine. Congratulations, Aaron. That was dope. Thank you. Thank you. People are just like still texting me stuff. And then when they get out of the movie, they're like, wow, it really did percolate with purpose. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for the percolator with purpose. Uh, We got Jamie Girac. Good morning from what I can only describe as a haunted Airbnb. Yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. It honestly does look like you are coming to us live from the haunted mansion at Disneyland. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love it. All right. This is the spoiler filled review breakdown, Easter egg, all things in between and outside the box. Black Panther Wakanda forever episode of phase zero. That means if you haven't seen the movie yet, it will fully be ruined for you in this uh in this episode of phase zero so maybe uh go watch it and come back richard peter by the scenes if we have a little spoiler bumper for the for the lower lower portion of the uh of the show today i think we should run that on our live show because i know we're broadcasting on twitch and facebook and youtube and i don't want anybody to come in here and stumble upon something like boom ramona dies (laughs) so i warned you i warned everybody i warned everybody (laughs) and uh that that's the kind of thing we're gonna be talking about today uh, and that was shocking. That was one of the few things that I really did not see coming. And it's one of the many things we're going to talk about today. We're going to go around with reactions, reviews, thoughts, uh, and, and spoilers are allowed to fly in these. So, Jamie, you're at the top of the screen. What did you think of Black Panther Wakanda Forever? I thought it was really good. Um, I think all the things that they had to work with, they they did it with grace and they did it uh, in a very impressive way. Um, I don't think I liked it as much as the rest of you. I do have criticisms. There was a huge chunk in the middle of that movie where I was sitting there like, I don't know if I like this. I'm I'm done with this. Uh, but then it won me back over in the end. Uh, so ultimately, it came out to be a four star movie for me. I need to see it again because uh, it could easily get bumped up. I don't see it getting bumped down. I'll tell you that. That much um so it's in a good place but um but i do think um i will be the harshest of us today 
All right. Hey, we always need one. We always need one. I'm glad it's not me today. Jenna, how are you feeling? What'd you think of uh, Wakanda Forever? I, I echo a lot of what Jamie said. I definitely don't think it is a completely flawless movie. I do think that like I've only still seen it once. Chris saw it twice last night and he told me you still feel the runtime when you're sitting there and watching basically three hours of it. But I still I still say what I, what I said on Wednesday of everything you're seeing is so interesting that you almost don't care that the runtime is as long as it is. And I think it is just such a narrative and just like larger miracle that the movie came together the way that it did given all of the circumstances it is just such a beautiful and earnest and wonderful movie that it kind of allows me to overlook some of the flaws because i just was enjoying so much of it aaron um i you can probably read a lot of my larger thoughts but i'll try and summarize here i think that as a meditation on grief it really succeeds exceedingly well uh when it's celebrating chadwick it's probably at its strongest but also, I don't envy the task of having to do, what is it, franchise maintenance in a movie of this size with this many moving parts. And the fact that none of the cogs kind of fall off of the machine is a testament to Ryan Coogler and this cast and this crew that it, it stays on the rails that the way that it does. I would say I feel like some people are going to bounce off of it because there's no real outlet for the discomfort of it in some ways. I feel like it being a Missy movie, you have certain expectations and it does kind of bounce against those in certain ways. I think that I read a review from another outlet. I, God, I need to look it up who said it, but like there's a way that this movie could have ended that would have really made it super subversive, but they kind of backed away at the end. That might've been in some ways, maybe more interesting, but I do enjoy, or at least I think it's interesting to have one of these where you kind of have to sit in the boiling pot of water and there's not like, you know, Patton Oswalt tumbling out of a portal to like break you out of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm overall, I, I'm very high on this movie. I thought it was really good. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really interesting that this one got two hours and 41 minutes where if we took 10 minutes off of this and gave it to Thor and 10 minutes off of another 10 minutes off of it and gave it to Dr. Strange and this was two twenty, and both of those were two ten, all three movies would have been better for it. Uh, so that's that's kind of interesting to think about that this one got all the runtime and those suffered from not having any. Uh, and I'm curious. I would love to be a fly on the wall and see if any of the theories are true about the runtime constraints and stuff. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I think this was just really I thought it was really good. And I've liked it more every time I've seen it. I've seen it three times now. And unlike like when I saw Thor Love and Thunder the first time, I had so much fun. I laughed so much. And then I went on opening night versus like premiere night. The energy is great. Everybody's laughing, you know. And I had a great time and I was so entertained that I, it was one of those where like, you know, when you show a TikTok that you think is funny to your friend and then they don't uh -huh. laugh and you're like, wait, but that was funny. That's how I felt. I sat with Richard at Thor Love and Thunder and he just wasn't laughing and most of the theater wasn't laughing and I wasn't even laughing as much because the laughter is contagious and I wasn't catching it. And I was like, man, whoa. And this one has been the opposite. I, I saw it at the premiere night. I saw it again the next night and then I saw it again uh, now uh, last night on opening night and I've liked it more every time. So I mean, it's definitely a little long and you feel it like I feel like some of the Namor backstory stuff started to started to was when I started to feel like a little bit of the runtime started to slow down and took a step back. Uh, and there were some scenes that was just like there wasn't anything I'm like, we don't really need that except for some of the stuff in the US, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about. I was like, why are we spending so much time over here? But uh, overall, I mean, I thought it was great. You definitely feel Chadwick's absence. I don't feel like you can really criticize the movie for not having Chadwick in it, obviously. So that's something I refuse to do, but I'd be lying if I said like, it felt like there was a centralized character that really carried. And it was obviously Shuri, 
but it, it like you still just feel the, the the presence of T'Challa that he brings to it was was not there obviously, and that and it was interesting to see how they filled that. I think they did a really good job, the best possible job they could do to fill that void. Uh, and everybody stepped up. I would have liked to see a little bit more Umbaku than we got, but the rest of the cast was incredible. Um, everybody got kind of chances to shine. And overall, I thought it was a really good story that introduced one of the best villains we've seen in the MCU and certainly the best villain since Thanos. Um, all right, so that's that's it. For me, this one's ranking high. This is top three minimum in, in the movies of Phase 4. That's that's. I'm not going to spoil it. We have our Phase 4 rankings show on December 7th. You got to tune in to find out. All right, we're going to do all the Phase 4 after the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special wraps us up. Uh, but tune into Phase 0 December 7th for the, for the ultimate chaos uh, i'm already right, dreading where this is going to be on my ranking seriously like i know this is going to be lower than most uh oh. even though i want to say four stars i'd like to repeat that's a good ranking but uh yeah. i don't think you it's even it. my favorite movie of the year so but we'll see we'll see it's not your favorite marvel movie of the year why because there wasn't enough wanda maximoff no the reason i love multiverse menace is not just because of wanda it's because i'm a big raimi fan uh okay. and um and the, just this this the style of that. But again, I have to see it a second time. I think that that, and I will before our ranking. So it, that could blow up everything, you know. That's sure. That's fair. I will, I will spoil this part of my ranking. I said this in a tweet already. It is my number one of the year and it's not close overall for me. Okay. I, I think this was a fantastic, fantastic film, especially by comparison to the other two films that came this year overall. Um, all right. We're going to go character by character to, to do today's show. Uh, and, and of course we're going to start with the main character, Sherry. I think Letitia Wright put on a hell of a performance, uh, really put like was burdened with unexpectedly putting this movie on her back. And fortunately she had a tremendous cast and director to support her and help her. But I think she did a really good job with this performance. And I thought the journey Sherry went on for it coming so out of nowhere. I mean, I, I don't really, uh, I thought it was good. I thought the arc by the end showing mercy was, was really good. What do you, Aaron, you're, you're, you're next on the screen here. What'd you think? Um, I really was kind of curious to see what would happen because, you know, with everything that got rumored during the production of this movie and the other circumstances and everything else, just like, it's a lot for a, a still a younger actress to really take on. And she really, really comes through very, very well. Um, there's a level of, the, the the sort of drowning in grief that you can obviously a lot of us can relate to. Um, I find that stuff to be very, very compelling. Uh, it's not often in these movies that uh, the, the, the main characters allow to give in to the darker parts of the uh, antagonist's argument. Um, and, and it's alluring and it, it appeals to you on a visceral level. It makes sense. Like in certain ways, like I did, it has been very rough to for her upbringing. You know, um, so I, I really I was very impressed. Also, uh, she's game to do these sequels where Black Panther is going to be a part of these giant action set pieces because boy, howdy, does she throw a lot more hands in this than the little pew pews at the, during Black Panther. Um, so, yeah, I'm I didn't know how much I was going to like it when everybody was saying there was rumors about like her being. I was like, I will see how that goes. But uh, I think it went pretty darn well, you know. The claws on the side of that that ship at the end were killing mm -hmm. me. Oh my god, I that was I was those nails on a chalkboard, but vibranium on vibranium, and it, it I was oof. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 
Jenna, what you got? You just have the opposite of ASMR right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am so like, even just thinking about it gets me a little emotional because it's like, I have liked so much of Shuri in the MCU, but I've, I've always felt like they've kind of done a little bit of her character a disservice because it felt like they weren't fully leaning into her comic counterpart at times. It felt like they almost were giving her a lot of comic reread personality traits, like in the earlier parts of the MCU and not letting her get into this more emotional kind of like chip on your shoulder type of thing because that wasn't what suited the story and so I had kind of resigned myself to the fact of like we'll probably never get that story but they found such a natural and such a brilliant way to go about it and to just make me so enthralled every single second that she was on screen like I I am in awe of how they handled that because it does feel like this perfect blend of like where she was who she is in the comics they just like mash it all up together so perfectly given the circumstances Jamie what you thinking uh, Shuri is, was what worked the best for me uh, in this movie. Uh, I think that, uh, first of all, I, I know there was some behind the scenes stuff, but uh, her performance is just phenomenal. And ev- I think the way that she, she was the voice of, of, the, of the grief and the way that everyone's feeling and you and it was hard not to think of Chadwick's real family in her moments. And, and, and also, ultimately, when this movie ended, to me, it felt like her origin story. And in a way that I thought was really beautiful and very well handled. Um, when, when Angela Bassett died, I was like, I didn't like it at first, because I was like, are you kidding me? My queen, my woman, my goddess is leaving us from this franchise, and I was ticked. But the, the way that it became it brought us to Shuri and brought us what it did. I, I think it all really tied together so beautifully. And I was, I was really, really impressed with that arc um, above anything. And my favorite part of it, which I'm sure we'll, we will get to the big, the big cameo, which, you know, we all wondered how are we going to fit Killmonger into the story? And it could not have been more perfect for her to see him. I think was, was maybe the most powerful part of the movie, not just because we got to see him, but because that's dark. That was a dark choice, a dark thing that that's, who she saw and and ultimately helped influence where she went and I just I really all oh, so beautiful and also I just she's the tiniest little lady and seeing her <laughs> kick so much ass was like yeah get it little ladies can do it too and I love that about it as well. Jamie do you know that Ruth Carter bottled her stuff after ballerinas like that's what she that's what she thought oh, about that oh. makes so much sense because like because I, I couldn't stop thinking about it mm-hmm Exactly. That's so cool. Cool. I love that fact. Killmonger showing up continues Ryan Coogler's streak of yeah. never having directed a feature <laughs> film without Michael B. Jordan. So that's an interesting little <laughs> yeah. fact. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the last words that Shuri said to Ramonda were love you. Bye. And she hung up on her. And I think that that's really interesting because obviously she didn't know that this was going to be the last words. And it's really weird to think about how, so much of this movie reflects what the cast actually went through. The, uh, it seems a lot of people really truly didn't know Chadwick was was sick and was going to pass away. And uh, I feel like their characters really, in a lot of ways, we watched them go through what a lot of these cast members went through in their real life relationship with Chadwick. Uh, so that was that was inter- that was just hard to think about when I, when I saw Ramona pass away. I was like, oh my god, she drowned, and the last thing she did was hang up on her. And then the next time I watched it, I was like, the last thing she said was "love you, bye." Whew. That was tough. That was tough. Uh, we were all grateful, I think, that, that Sherry showed mercy to, to Namor because I, we wanted more Namor, at least. And by we, I mean me. I don't know if I mean everybody, but I that fight scene was incredible. 
uh, when it when that camera panned in on Sharia in the desert, I was like, hold up, directed by Chloe Zhao, because it was like clearly a real, it looked as like a real desert as it could possibly be, and a lot of sky in there. Uh, but uh, that, what do you, what do you guys think about the dynamic between Namor and Shuri? I loved it so much. I, I like, I know we're going to talk about Namor writ large, but I love his delivery of the bit of like, you could go down to Tolokan and your bones would crush and your skull would do blah, blah, blah. Or you can just wear a little swimsuit. Like we have that for you. We have a diving suit. Like his delivery of that was so great. Their rapport was so great. I love that they didn't make it this purely antagonistic thing the entire movie. Like, I love that there was kind of this sense of betrayal and then this like going back around to just trauma and just their kind of shared connection. I thought that that was such a brilliant way to take this arc and just make it about those two characters first and foremost. I, I enjoyed how ultimately the conclusion of their arc was a direct reflection of T'Challa and showed how Shuri really learned how to take on a bit of nobility and, uh, you know, some of the Wakandan traditions, because she said to uh, Namor what T'Challa said to Zemo at the end of Civil War, or like a version of it, because what, what T'Challa said to Zemo was, uh, vengeance has consumed you, I will not let it consume me. And what she said to Namor was, vengeance has consumed us, we cannot let it consume our people, which I don't know if, you know, T'Challa and Shuri talked off screen and he was like, yeah, and then I caught him and I said this. <laughs> so she felt the need to echo it or this just goes to show if they didn't have that conversation, how much like her brother and her family she really is now, how much she's embraced it. And that just happened naturally. So I find that really interesting. And speaking of, uh, of lines from, from, the, from other movies, the M'Baku challenge where he, you know, he, well, he emerged with the Jabari tribe during the challenge and er, the challenge for the throne at the beginning of the first Black Panther. And he talked about Shuri. He said, you get your technological advancements from a child who scoffs at tradition. And at Ramona's funeral, Shuri uh, repeated that to Umbaku and said, oh, now you would seek advice from a child who scoffs at tradition. And I think that the relationship between Shuri and Umbaku is really beautiful too, because I would even say Umbaku's choices in this film were more... I, I like to believe this at least we're more influenced by the desire to keep Shuri safe because of the promise he made to T'Challa to look after her than looking after his own people, which I hope he's looking after the Jabari people as well. But he, the way his mind changed so quickly from let's kill the fish man to, you know, let's do what's going to protect Shuri was really interesting when he saw how the burden and the danger and the risk became, you know, Shuri's to bear. And I thought that was I thought that was a really interesting shift from Mbaku and it could have, you know, reflected T'Challa's legacy and Ramonda's legacy. I love that. There I were, completely agree. Oh, there ahead. was one moment where I was like, should I be shipping them? Uh, I was like, no. so worried about that. I, I know. I was like, <laughs> there was a real line. And I'm like, if this was an, a different movie with different themes, yeah. I would have been like, I think that's what should be happening. But then but then I was like, no, 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 that's not what's happening. And that's good. But yeah. there was a second where I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> I, I was like, they better not do that. But if they if they did it, they would probably find a way to thread that needle. But I'm so glad they didn't because the age difference alone, I'm just like, uh, I don't know. Speaking of weird shipping stuff, friend of the program, <laughs> Rachel Leishman and her like screening when Namor was talking to Shuri and they're like commiserating over like, we should burn the world together. Someone in the front of their screen went, this is some Raylo shit. I don't like this. <laughs> and I'm laughing very hard. And it's just bouncing around <laughs> in my brain for three days. And that's the vibe I got, too. I'm like, Sue Storm is in trouble, y'all. <laughs> she ain't even here yet. She is in trouble. Oh, poor John Krasinski in the corner looking like Smithers. It's going to be terrible. 
Perfect. I'm not going to lie. I had the same thought, Jamie. I just didn't want to be the one to say it. I was when they were sitting there in uh, underground in Telocan, you know, mm-hmm. Tenochtitlan has those eyes. I was like, "Hold on, are they really?" And then they didn't. And then they didn't. And I was like, "Okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah, that would have been very Raylo." All right. Well, we 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 brought him up. Let's go to the next character. Honestly, we have to talk about Namor or Namor. Uh, however you want to pronounce it. He pronounces it Namor. The characters in the movie around him from Wakanda pronounced it Namor. I have my whole life pronounced it Namor, so I have continued to do that. But I think that's an interesting part of the conversation to start with because we're going to talk about this journey and all hail to Nochuerta because he did an amazing job. We're going to talk about his comic references and everything. But I find it interesting that he introduces himself as Namor. We get a reveal of what the name means to him, which we'll talk about. But still, Wakandan characters called him Namor throughout the film. So that doesn't feel like both for both culturally, which I won't speak to the specifics of, but I was talking to Nicole about this and she said there's like a cultural precedent for that. But I also feel like it feels very similar to how in certain Batman things, if you're in the League of Assassins, you call Ra's al Ghul Ra's al Ghul. But if you're not, you call mm. him Ra's al Ghul. So I think it was the, one of those kinds of things of like culturally, depending on how close you are to this like noble royal person, that depends on how you pronounce his name. That was how I saw it. Interesting. I, I tended to think that it was a reflection of like both uh, intimacy, like Jenna is pointing to, and like you know, cultural outsiders, right? So my my enemies call me Namor, and he pronounced it very, very anglicized then. But Namor is all how like you know Talokan Talokanas uh, says his name. So I felt like that was like a shrewd thing because you could tell, you know, whenever he appears again, God, whenever he appears again in this, you're gonna get. Val or somebody saying his name in the most nasally <laughs> wrong pronounced way of possible on purpose to show they clearly don't know who they're messing with. Right. I was so relieved when they started saying Namor because I was mm-hmm. like, because when he name, I was like, oh, no, I've been saying it wrong. And I've already committed it to memory because I'm really bad at name pronunciations. Now I have to change everything I know. But then they went to like, OK, Namor, we can say it. It's OK. Yeah, it was. And it was interesting that they assigned that meaning to his name because that's I not something that. from the comics. It was this story. I'm not going to lie. When when young uh, Namor started flying for the first time, I thought that was hilarious. I was like, hold on. <laughs> I can't take like he just rises up and the music is like, oh, and I was like, yo, this is kind of hilarious that this little kid's flying. But uh, when he took his name to mean the child without love in, in you know, if you're speaking in Spanish, no more, no more would be, you know, no love. I found that to be really interesting that this name that has existed in Marvel comics for so long, they found a way to, to thread a, such a, a meaningful definition to the character for the MCU. I found that really interesting and creative. I agree. I'm in awe of like how well this character has been around for so long. He is arguably one of the first superheroes that Marvel ever had. And just to be able to not have had any of this cultural stuff be in the text, but to have it feel so organic and so natural to be part of the text. Like, I'm so excited to see the Namor media that exists after this and to see like how the comics start to pick up on this a little bit more because it feels like the Atlantis and the Namor from the comics was always just this very like Pangea sort of character of like he's from everywhere and no were at the same time but i love that they assigned this like cultural significance to so much of what he did because it was just so brilliantly well done like it felt like it should have always been there uh yeah go ahead jamie oh no i, I was ready to share my name or take so i think you should go first 
<laughs> oh, I, I was just going to say, I it, it seems pretty obvious that they probably switched up the Atlantis because Aquaman already yes. hit theaters and yeah. they found a way to then make it even still very interesting. I'm not a comics purist. I'm a person who loves Spider-Man being mentored by Tony Stark. I'm okay with that. I know. I know. Come for me. But uh, yeah, so sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. I was, you know, I, I, th- I thought that Namor's a really cool character and his performance was awesome. I really do look forward to seeing more of him, but I think he, it was my least favorite part of the movie. Um, what? Uh, I, wow. Yeah, uh, I know. And, and there are a couple of reasons I will explain myself again. I'm not saying it was bad by any means. It's just in the runtime. It's what I felt the most. And huh. first of all, I personally am just not into like, <laughs> full <of> Jamie. <laughs> I'm just like not into underwater stuff like that. Um, like blue underwater people, one of my least favorite genres. Um, but, and then that's just my personal taste. That's not like, um, um, and, and, and his backstory, I, I really enjoyed, um, but his motivations did not work for me. I thought that like him wanting the way he wanted to kill Riri and everything was, was very, um, loose. Uh, and like, we just got to kill her and all of our problems will be solved. And like, it, it never was resolved because it never really seemed to matter. I think it was a, um, an odd motivation. His bigger motivations really worked for me, protecting his people and, and the, the, the differences between Wakanda, which is why I'm very excited for the future of the character and the future of these people. But his, his, like his, the, the motivation was a little weak for me in this specific case. Um, but, uh, that's not to say I didn't enjoy the character or the performance because I deeply did um it's just that um i hope uh, don't come for me i uh, you know i, I you know it's uh, peter peter in the comments like yes, is for you are gonna hate avatar too yeah oh, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> i'm not going to see avatar 2 i have zero plans <laughs> to see that movie um so yeah I, I i i did um the the mutant stuff awesome here for it super cool and i did really really love the final showdown between the two of them a lot so um so it, it worked for me but it not but not as much as the rest of the movie i mean i find i find his i found his you know haste to want to burn down the surface world like oh man that's that's pretty bold that's quite the take way to write that but like if you look at our real world there are some real world leaders who want to do some dumb plundering i mean like our own country does some stupid, you know, uh, uh, all around the world. You find that there are leaders who, I mean, look at Ukraine and Russia, people just attacking people. So, uh, I, mean, I, fair. Don't, I can't argue yeah, that. <laughs> I think that it's not, it's not too unrealistic to think that somebody could just want to preemptively try to take other people out, even if you don't agree with it. And that's, I mean, that's, Honestly, why I think I like this character so much because it's it's similar to Thanos. Obviously, completely different goals, but uh, and not completely different, but very different means to achieve go- different goals. But I love Thanos as a character. I don't agree with wiping out half the universe, but we all understand his logic and why he wants to do it. So I I thought Namor and and the performance by Tenoch Huerta was just really good. I mean, certainly I think there were elements of this that could have been a little bit better, told a little bit more quickly, maybe. Uh, I, I need to stop complaining about runtimes because then they're going <laughs> to crack down back to the two hour thing. And honestly, the runtime got easier for me the more I watched it. 
See, um, all of you are like the Namor sequence, like the flashback was like where you guys started to feel the runtime. That was where I was like, I give me an entire special presentation of this. Like I was enthralled by it. I thought it was really fascinating. And I was partially worried going in that they would make him like a little bit younger in the canon of the Marvel Universe. But the fact that it's like, no, the conquistadors are part of his origin story and he's been around for this long. I was so glad that they did that. And I think that that then leads into his motivation and his like need for self-preservation. And I thought that that was just so compelling because it was so different from the vast majority of Marvel villains that we've gotten. So I was happy with it. I, I would just like to say Dumb Plundering is my favorite Wu-Tang Clan album. Uh, <laughs> and the part about the part, the middle part, actually, uh, in my review, uh, Jamie would not like it. There's too much water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so much. It was a beautiful review. I read Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I, I just... I think that it's really interesting thematically to have them be underwater and have it be interspersed, have it be so dark. And then, you know, him be like a signal of light. And he brought that to his kingdom. Yeah. I really am fascinated. I thinking about like, you know, this is a, this is basically another version of Wakanda in a lot of ways. Right. And it's sort of like, I guess all that time underwater strengthened it for me. Like, Hey, we are not different. All of our meeting sites, there's a reason we're doing all these long, loving shots of them in this weird, like, you know, uh, bizarre. And, and 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 also, like, I felt bad when, like, Nakia, like, took out the guards that were holding yeah. Shuri and Riri. I was like, yo, she gave her a melon. Why'd you shoot her? Why'd you shoot her? Chill <laughs> out. Um, but I guess that's, like, it, it would cut, it would hit differently for other people, right? And I also, just as, like, an African-American person, like, uh, you know, Haiti is, like, a sore spot for both both cultures like it's a very very real thing that i when it happened i was like wait what we just go all right then sounds good me and nick were like <laughs> handshake on that when it happened like after we talked about it last night so yeah uh i i, I do get it. it is a little bit lengthy but i feel like not only did that do that stuff to like th strengthen our understanding of him and how like how you could get warped and sort of like corrupted by all this power or not even corrupted, but just to be influenced by all this power and the desire to protect your own people. But also funny enough to me too, I just wanted to ask, cause I wrote it when Brandon was looking for Easter eggs on the Easter egg breakdown. Y'all should watch that on the, the YouTube channel. Uh, that glowing orb that's in the middle of their city. They, they spent a lot of time, like it's been a good, like eight to 10 seconds, like lingering on it. I feel like that, that has something to do with something. I don't think that that was on accident for real. Yeah, I have no idea. I will say, though, to your point about like the light and the darkness stuff. My one other complaint about this movie is the very first scene when he meets Shuri and Ramonda is way too dark. It was like House of the Dragon yes, territory. I, have the same <laughs> like, I was watching like in my press screening and I was kind of towards the front because most of the seats were taken. And I'm like, is it really this dark? Like if I'm sitting normally and Chris saw it last night, and it was like, no, it's basically that dark. I'm like, I want to see Namor, like turn up the brightness. Let me see the boy. And we didn't like it took a while to get to that point. But that was my one other complaint was just the like aesthetic darkness. Of I literally thought the same thing. Like, are we in Westeros or Wakanda? What's going yeah. on? <laughs> uh, I do want to backtrack a little and just defend the idea of the run, the whole runtime debate, whatever. Yeah. I don't mind a three-hour movie. I, yeah. I think it works for Endgame. I think it works for Infinity War. And I, I there are a plenty of three-hour movies that I've seen twenty-five times. Um, so I'm, I'm, I didn't go into this like, oh, it's going to be long. Um, I was open to it, but. I did still feel it. And sometimes I think a long run time doesn't 100% work. I say in this case, it worked like 80%. And that's pretty good. That's yeah. a pretty high number. That's a B. 
So, yeah. And that yeah. comes right down to like at the top of the show. And I was like, you could have took 20 minutes from this and given them to Thor and Dr. Strange and all three movies would have been better. Um, yeah. It's not like I go into a two hour, 40 minute movie saying this is going to be too long. It is just, you know, ultimately it comes mm-hmm. down to execution. And that's not a huge criticism. Like I don't feel that yeah. strongly about it. Yeah. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Namor had his wing ripped off his ankle by, mm-hmm. by Shuri. We know from mm-hmm. comics, it can grow back. Yes. So that's good to know. He said Imperius Rex in his telecan language. That is kind of his comic book catchphrase, which has been defined to Thor in a fight with Thor. He said, it means we're going to kick your Asgardian ass at an issue of Thor. I don't think he was talking about Asgardian asses while he was talking to Shuri, but I think the message, it's basically his battle cry. (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So, so yeah, he says that often in comics. So nice little Easter egg there. Uh, I think that that is all the, 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 the Namor we have to talk about today. I did see one comment, Josh Harding said uh, the Namor, the Namor backstory felt like the Eternals celestial Arashem exposition dump. I would agree with you to some extent. I think the one in Eternals was worse. <laughs> yes. I'm not a huge yeah. fan of the way it just went back in time to show us uh, Namor being born, becoming a mutant and all that stuff. He is, much like the comics now, going to be the oldest mutant, the first mutant in the MCU like he was in Marvel Comics. He was the, He's the oldest living mutant, I believe, in Marvel Comics. And now he's going to be the oldest living mutant in the MCU. Maybe he's got a bunch of mutant babies running around. I don't know. When you're around that long, you might just be getting busy and spawning a whole mutant race. Maybe that's how they're introduced. So that means he is somehow now the great, 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 great uncle of Kamala Khan in a sense. Maybe. I don't know how that works, but who knows? Maybe other people got mutant genes from another plant somewhere underwater in the MCU or something. All right. We're going to keep it moving. Atuma and Namora. Uh, not too much to talk about there. I don't think they were they were powerful, badass kind of super henchmen to for for Namor. And you know the Namora rivalry with Namor is set up by the end of the film from comics. I think that that's something we're going to see going forward. Anything you want to talk about on that front with those two characters? Uh, I will say that final scene was like that's what got me. Like I'm ready for more of this dynamic mm-hmm. for sure. But also um, at that point, I'm like, wait, do I know who this person is? <laughs> <laughs> which is why I need to see the movie again. You know, well, it's, it's, it's hard to even differentiate these people when they're all painted blue and they're underwater and it's dark, but then you do see, uh, uh, Mabel Cadena and Alex Levinali when they're underwater, you see them and they're mm-hmm. speaking and they look like themselves. Uh, but then when they're on, on land and they have their headpieces on their faces are largely covered and kind of distorted by being blue. So like the police said, are they blue? Spears of the chest. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Aaron. I was gonna say, like, did y'all, uh, me and Brandon were in the same screening for you two. Did did anybody else make a ooh when she hit that spear when he oh that's yeah we're gonna talk her? about that yeah oh god I was like yo I haven't felt this bad since like you know Peter got slammed through a, a floor <laughs> in No Way Home I'm like god yeah. I've seen this movie three times and all three times when uh, Atuma plants his staff in the ground and uses a Koye spear to slam her into it. You can just feel the air leave the theater and everybody's just like, oh, it is consistent that that re- I thought. Ak- all right, we're going to let, let's talk about Ramonda and Okoye. I thought Okoye was going to die on that bridge. Mm. When she was surrounded by all of them and then they got up and he kicked the sword back to the spear back to her. I thought there is no way they kill Okoye here. But then I was like, she might. There, How's she going to get out of this? I thought she was going to die on that bridge. That was one of the best fight scenes we've had in a minute. Certainly the best fight scene, I'd say. Hmm, well, I was going to say since Shang-Chi, but uh, but but Green Goblin hand to hand with with 
Spider-Man in that, you know, multi-level apartment building brawl was, was pretty awesome too. But this was not even for the sake of comparison. This on its own was just a fantastic fight scene. Props to Denai Guerrero, who's been kill- kicking ass with swords and spears since playing Michonne on The Walking Dead. Up the game for this one. Up the game for that fight scene. I, I was never worried. I'm like, no. oh, we've killed enough people. Like, I, I, I come on. Um, well, no, we well, haven't killed anybody yet. Well, kill yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, this okay. was before Ramonda. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking of later. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah I still wasn't worried though. Cause at that point I still didn't think they were going to kill anybody else. And so I was super shocked later <laughs> when it came, but, the, but I, I, I love this character so much. And, um, and I'm, and I want so much more of her and I wish we even got even more of her in this movie. Like give, give me 30 more minutes, but just of her. Um, <laughs> but like, but nothing broke my heart more than, than her, than Angela Bassett. Yeah. Firing her basically. That was, I, I, I think that was the scene one like the non Chadwick scene that really hit me the hardest because, oh, the, the acting alone, beautiful, beautiful stuff. And I, and I, we didn't really get to see her kind of get her role back. I mean, kind of. But not, not really. No. no. And that's no. sad. I, I would like, I think that that sequence between Denai Guerrero and Angela Bassett, where they're talking about who has given everything to Wakanda, that genuinely might be one of the single, if not the best performed sequences Marvel Studios has ever brought to the screen. I mean, that was, it, 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 that was just a brilliant showcase of talent between the two of them. And it is. I mean, if not for the performances, you don't feel it as much, I don't think. Because they both of those women did such a tremendous job in that sequence, it just comes through. I want to backtrack from something I said in our episode on on Wednesday, which is they <laughs> we were asked if Angela Bassett Bassett will win an Oscar, and I said no because I do I really I don't think she's going to win. But yeah. the more I've thought about it, the more I think you know Angela Bassett is one of those actors that at this point in her career she should have an Oscar, yes. and it's absolutely ridiculous that she doesn't. And I have been following the Oscars religiously since I was eleven years old, so I have a pretty I usually have a good grip on how it works. And this could be that like she deserves it. I, I'm not saying she doesn't deserve it for this movie. But I don't think typically one would get. We've, I don't think we've ever had an. We've never had an Oscar-nominated MCU performance. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I think a nomination could happen. Um, it, it that the supporting category is a lot thinner than the best actress category this uh. year. So um, I think that that could help in her favor. I would love to see her win just because that woman deserves the gold, like literally for anything. Um, so I just wanted to. I needed to to add a little flair to what I said the other day. <laughs> I, I I think it's so it's possible, but I just and also if the Oscars actually want to get some ratings, they'll acknowledge people who put on good performances in blockbuster films, not just things that only like, you know, hardcore movie buffs watch. That said, Michelle Williams in the Fablemans is incredible. And she is but she's going she's going best actress. She's not she, going supporting. I, I, that surprises me because she would win if Michelle Williams think, went supporting, mm-hmm. she'd win. And now she's given up that that option. And I don't think she's huh. going to win now. That'll be interesting. That'll be yeah. interesting to see. I mean, I'm rooting for Angela Bassett in the MCU. I think it's awesome. I don't know who else is in the category, but maybe there's someone else I'd like to see win too. But that performance was incredible. Uh, yeah. Anybody else want to speak on that uh, on Ramonda and Akoya before we move on? Uh, I I would say it's a masterclass in having a bunch of people in a like scene, and then it's but it is a A to B conversation. Yeah. Like nobody else gets like. It's just them watching a tennis match, you know, because it's like, I mean, we all follow Okoye, but also that's the queen. But also, uh, uh, I don't know who to. And 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 that's I feel like it's really 
underlines part of like what the movie's about too because it's about starting over in in sort of ways you know in the next whatever of wakanda she's not they're not going to need her to be general they she's got to be something else um you know she's so. a midnight angel now yep it's she's true a midnight angel she got her it's midnight true. angel armor and that is a group of doras in the comics who are just an, another group of uh warriors mm-hmm. Aaron is i showing cannot it wait off. to see women walking around in these outfits at cons i <laughs> that was my first you know, they are they are colorful blue predator outfits. I they love are. them so much because they are—they're so comic booky. Like they could not have translated them better. But it was funny to me because I looked at like the Reddit discussion for the movie last night, and nine out of the ten top comments were all like, "God, the Midnight Angel costume is so ugly." And I'm like, "Wow, Okoye has a lot of burner accounts on Reddit because she's just posting <laughs> over and over again." But I loved it because it translated the awkward, weird parts of that costumes in such a cool way. I thought that was awesome. Well, let's talk about Ramonda. Yeah. This was this was this was one of the things that I genuinely did not know was going to happen in this movie going into it. And I was shocked. I was like, wow, the loss that this movie naturally comes with. And you had the audacity to <laughs> to take Ramonda from us as well. I mean, I, I, that was that was tough. That was a tough sequence in the way Umbaku is holding Shuri back and Okoye is there after they exchange. We just talked about trying to save her and Nakia is there. Everybody's there and the queen has died. It it was it solidified Namor as one of the best villains because he actually got to do something impactful and shocking. But it also like was just tough and surprising to watch. The shot of her in the water was, I know. was bleak. That was, it was, and the, and the fact that she died for Riri, I think is actually kind of beautiful and, yeah. and sets up a bond that I think that we'll, I hope to see more of and continue between her and, and the people of Wakanda. Um, but man, that whole scene, that was, that was a big turning point. That's when the movie shifted for me of like, oh, this is, this is it. This is, this is a four star movie for me. Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of like, like cultural baggage from you know my experience. Like I you know I went to high school. Katrina happened. You got global flooding in the South. Any image, any black floating people dead is uh, it plays a little bit differently uh, for 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 me. But it was kind of necessary because it, it's like it, this is about severing the ties. This is about fire and water and either cleaving a new future for yourself through like disconnecting from tradition or like hugging towards it. And you can do both at the same time. And I, I do, I agree with Jamie. I really love that, you know, like the, it, Riri doesn't communicate the exact same way that maybe some of us, but she's totally supposed to be symbolic of the way that uh, like the African-American audiences, I guess African audiences, of, you know, of all cultures, uh, sort of gravitated towards the Wakandans as like, oh man, isn't this cool? We've always never seen ourselves, you know? Cause when like they break into her room, she's like, oh my God, what? Like, I know who you are. I've seen you on TV. And that, that sort of builds throughout this, right? That like the ideals that help sort of give a little kid like that life in Chicago, like end up furthering the way for another hero to come forth. So I, I thought that was interesting, right? Um, but yeah, heart wrenching because they kill auntie, man. What is that? Like I, I said to Nick Valdez, she better fly through a portal in that armor for what if and secret wars. It better happen. She better get to use a spear one time. Come on, y'all. 
Mm. Like I said. Yeah. The fact that, like we said earlier, Sherry's last words to her were love you, Bob, before she hung up the phone and cut off the conversation abruptly, not knowing it would be the last one. And the fact that Namor stood there with his little wing feet and he said, bury your dead, mourn your losses. I was just, whoa, this is, this is, I mean, to be honest, it's a level of darkness and, and weight that I appreciate the MCU delivering, but that doesn't mean it was, it was easy. It, 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 it was the emotional payoff you want to feel in a movie. That's why we go to the movies to, to, to go through these things and care about the characters. But when it happens, you're like, Oh my gosh, they really took her from us. Yeah. That was, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. And, uh, Wakanda has, has lost a lot. It's, it's tough. Um, well, yeah. Anything else we want to talk about with, with Ramonda? I will say, cause like I, I hinted at this on Wednesday of like, I love how much of phase four consistently, even though it hadn't like necessarily tried to be, is just about grief and loss and just like going through the past couple of years, like how resonant that has all been just consistently across the board. Like I, I had told Nicole, this is kind of like the final boss of dealing with so much grief in this movie, but it does it in such an eloquent and like beautiful way that I'm, I'm so glad that that kind of like catapulted the phase to this point. Cause it felt very natural. I agree so much. I, even though I have some criticisms with this movie, I, it, I cannot think of a better way to end phase four. It was the yeah. perfect ending. Uh, I, I, I'm so I, R- R- Ryan, I hope you're on a vacation drinking like a, a, an umbrella drink right now. And just like really uh, taking the, the vacation you deserve for this hard work. I'm just so impressed. I personally hope Ryan is reading his email and seeing that I invited him on the show, but that's <laughs> <laughs> he can have his, his tiki drink and yeah. the other show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Come to it. That's the beauty of StreamYard and virtual phase zero episodes. You can join us from wherever you are. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, also uh, the, I have to, I have to say the only thing I will, I, I miss the structure of the phases from the infinity saga where it would end with a culmination. This, this doesn't, to me, yeah, this is a great way to end phase four because it was clearly the best movie they've had in a minute. It really uh, resonates with so many things we've gone through in the real world and what this movie has gone through itself. But I do, I do wish that like, it doesn't really feel like a phase. It just feels like here's a bunch of movies and shows. We're just rolling into the next movies and shows. Like what is, what is to say why this is the end of the phase? What was the journey of this phase? Introduce everybody. Well, we're going to introduce more people in phase five. So how, what is the difference? Uh, I kind of like the punctuation of the crossover ensemble event, but uh, I'm sure everybody would probably say, yeah, that that would be cool too. But also if there's no story to do it then don't force it, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I feel about that. Uh, We're going to take a quick break here. One minute. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about uh, Ironheart. We're going to talk about Val and Everett Ross. Excuse me. And we're going to talk about some more Easter eggs, Chadwick's legacy and more what this means for, for phase five and beyond. In, uh, in just a minute. So hit the subscribe button during our commercial break, leave a five-star review, and we will be right back. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. 
and it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back to Phase Zero bonus episode number 15, The Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Spoiler show. BD here, Jenna, Jamie, Aaron with me. All right, let's talk about Valentina Allegra de Fontaine and Everett Ross and the fact that these two had put some rings on it and took them off. Uh, they were married. That was an interesting development. That was one of those where you could tell who the Marvel fans in the theater were because everybody gasped. We're like, what? In every screening I've gone to. What do we think about this? Oh, I, I found, have feelings. Yeah, I found, it so, I found it so interesting. It was funny because I had my little screening notebook and I wrote down like CIA director is a woman. Who is it? And then like 20 minutes later, they answer like, oh, it's Val. And it's like, of course it's Val. Like this makes perfect sense. I love that they were married because she was basically like a very long term girlfriend of Nick Fury in the comics. Like they had a thing like you can you can look up certain comic pages. It was a thing. So it's like I love that we're kind of playing off of that, of like her being involved with kind of the government side of the Marvel Universe. That being said, I loved their dynamic, but also all of these scenes felt so unnecessary to me. They were fun to watch, but it's like if I had to pick one thing to trim down or cut, it probably would have been them. But I want to hear what Jamie thought. We all know that Val is the embodiment of my favorite types of characters. You know, I love her deeply and I've already decided I'm going to get a purple streak in my hair to honor her. Um, uh, that being said, I was I, I wanted so deeply to love this because it's it was like it's like catered to me. But it, it didn't totally work. It, it, I think the only reason they made them exes is to show how ruthless she is. Um, and, and and that felt kind of forced to me. I think she could have been ruthless without being hit, an ex of his. Um, I can see it, though. I can see them working. Um, but it, but I just it didn't totally make sense to me. And I love his performance as Everett. I think it's so funny, like that, uh, just like making him such an American is every time I see him do an American accent, it's funny to me. Um, but like as much as I love her character, uh, I I. I I do think that it was that was all a weird choice to put to put all of it. And I like his his relationship to Wakanda. And I like that he's a part of their story. And after the first movie and how much um, how how much he owes to Shuri and knows it um, and will never forget that. I deeply like. But it didn't uh, I, it, on paper. This should have been like my favorite thing. And it just wasn't. Except it did inform my future hairstyle, which I think is important. <laughs> Yeah, I think all the stuff with like the US and, and all that didn't need to be in the movie, but it felt like the thing that they were like, we need to have this. So one of our big movies catapults some audiences into the next big movie that we want to be big and which is obviously Thunderbolts. Uh, but it was like, I didn't not enjoy their scenes, but I also feel like that could have been the 20 minutes we gave to Thor and Doctor Strange and I will never yeah. get off that horse. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, and, and I find it interesting that Vibranium is what she's clearly after. And I feel like that could be the big phase five conversation we promised on the show. The thing that is going on in Thunderbolts or at least part of it, because I could fully see they all get signed up for this Thunderbolts team in one way or another kind of forced into it. There are very different personalities on that team. You have some gray area people. You have Bucky Barnes, who clearly wants to be a good guy. And you have the John Walkers, who don't really care. And that's Lean's, Lean's bad guy. 
And if Val hires these people and promises some reward or even forces them into it or uses various means, maybe blackmailing people to join the team, some of those people are going to be cool. I'll carry out the mission and get this vibranium and do whatever it takes to get it. And some of those people are going to tear the team apart to say, no, we're not getting this stuff when they realize what the mission actually is. So I think that if Vibranium is the goal of Thunderbolts, that's going to be an interesting dynamic it sets up within that group alone and whether or not they're able to accomplish the mission and the effects it has. And that, to me, feels like a culmination event for a phase, which is what Thunderbolts was supposed to be for phase five until the dates shifted. So we'll see. We'll see. Oh, go ahead, Jenna. No, I agree, though. I feel like the MacGuffin might not end up being Vibranium, but I like the idea because Val has the line of like, she dreams of the US like being the world power, like whatever that ends up being, whether they're looking for Vibranium or something else. I think that that then incentivizes her over the next few years of canon to establish the Thunderbolts and be like, oh, well, Wakanda and Tolokan have this little alliance that like we're not supposed to really touch with. So like, how can I get a team that can go and get whatever the MacGuffin is elsewhere? So I I do think it's a fun way of doing that. We still could have probably gotten the information conveyed in like a third less screen time than we got but it is what it is which one of them's going to build the big ring to control uh val to stop her from getting the vibranium <laughs> as half of them opt for one strategy with their mission and one side opts for the other and you know icarus flies down through the sun um i don't know i it played a little bit differently for me i don't know uh, it's, it's very funny. I, in my head, she, uh, thinks that Okoye is his Jake from state farm. If you get the reference, <laughs> she's the other woman on the other side of the phone, um, which is funny to me, uh, intrinsically. And then you can ask Brandon Davis, Aaron Preen raised their hands in the theater when she popped up a screen. Cause I was like, what? Like, huh? You hear a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Like in, in like doing this job. And no one mentioned this beforehand. So it's going to be a wild, wild surprise for for people. And I think that for the people who are really hounding after these connections, that's going to do a lot more for them than maybe it did for me. Because I, I was like, ain't really what I'm here for, but it is funny. Like, And also, <laughs> I feel like I kind of understand her casting more after this mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's certain things that she's been in before that might be hinting where she's really trying to go, uh, which I did not realize beforehand. Cause I need, I apparently need Jamie Drack there, like putting my hands on the blocks to put the square <laughs> peg into the square hole, but I'm here now. So that's good. I will also, as much as I thought it wasn't like needed for the movie as a fan of the MCU who loves the connectivity, I enjoyed that the, that it was in the movie. So as much as I'll criticize and jo- like, and they're not, I can't emphasize how not strong of a criticism it is. The runtime being a little long and the movie feeling a little long sometimes. I'm not, this could have not been in the movie, but I am a geek for the, the MCU connections, learning that there are actual through lines and stuff. So I'm, I'm not certainly not disappointed or annoyed that it was in the film. I also wonder, uh, uh, Val is the head of the CIA. Val hired Yelena to kill Clint Barton. Did the U.S. government try to take out Hawkeye? I don't know. I feel I, like she, I'm sure she has her own little naughty agendas. Um, <laughs> not that the U.S. doesn't have a lot of naughty agendas, too, you know? Also, like, we don't know how long she's been CIA director. It could have been, like, after the events of Hawkeye. Like, it could have been a thing of, like, she was still in the CIA doing her little evil business and then now got promoted and is at, like, the top of the food chain. What are y'all going to do when Thunderbolts ends with her and Sharon girl boss fighting at the top of the tower? What are you going to do? I'm Sharon in the face, Val. 
All right, we got to keep moving. We are running out of time here. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, we absolutely have to talk about Ironheart. Dominique Thorne is fantastic as Riri Williams, and we have just scratched the ice to tip of the iceberg on this character. Her introduction was great. The Ironheart suit was not impressive for me. <laughs> I like it, like it's very impressive that the character built that Ironheart suit, but the Ironheart suit on screen left something to be desired for me. Uh, but I thought the character was awesome. I, I have some comic notes to share. I have some notes from my interview with Nate Moore to share, but I want to go around and get everybody's thoughts on Riri Williams and what you took away from it, what you enjoyed about it, what you want to see with it. Aaron, you're at the top of the screen. I uh, hope everybody who had that show down in their rankings feels a little weird because you probably should feel a little weird right about now. I feel like we're in for a Miss Marvel type situation where it ends up being very, very good with not a whole lot of hype before this movie and then afterwards. Um, she's definitely the bright spot of the movie. Her and Winston Duke, I think the thing of like, you ain't gonna leave me here, are you? Y'all stop having black pants when they got me. And freaking you bald headed demon are the two funniest parts of the movie, <laughs> probably. Um, definitely. So she succeeds on that level. And I think they threaded the needle with the Stark stuff. She's obviously inspired by like, like the inventing part of it, but like the Tony part of it, she's like, ah, that's not really my bag. So I'm excited to see more. I'm not going to lie. I would love to see some Stark stuff, but I'll touch on that. <laughs> Jenna, go ahead. <laughs> I, I loved it. I got like goosebumps a minute or so onto her being on screen because like, I love Eve Ewing's Ironheart run. I love Ironheart comics. Like I thought that they did such a perfect job of capturing her energy. It is this thing of, I know we all like talk about fatigue of like, do we really need Disney plus shows for everybody? But it was this thing of like five minutes into her being on screen. I'm like, yes, I will watch six hours of you just hanging out, dealing with magic, doing whatever in Chicago. Cause it was just so captivating to watch her. I liked the suits. I thought that they were, a really good starting point to then eventually evolve to her getting her own style. I feel like if she came out of the gate and had her comic accurate, very Tony inspired suit, it would have just been a little too similar. And I love the stylistic choices that they made because they just looked cool. They looked really weird. It looks like a Power Rangers action that figure. Thing like a Power Ranger. But in like the best I way. Power I don't Ranger. mind that at all. I think that that's an awesome choice. So I across the board, she was she was so perfect. Like I said on, on Wednesday, my number one takeaway from this movie is that I cannot wait for Ironheart. That's what this movie gave me the most is that I am now hyped for that show. She was so fun, so funny. What a great character. Honestly, when it comes to the suits, I, I was barely clocking how I felt about it. <laughs> I, I did. I, all I know is that like, um, I think we all know from Tony that suits evolve, suits change. I, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I barely even had a moment to have an opinion because I was like, this girl's awesome do more things so that's that's all i have to say about that jamie hope she's in it uh coven of chaos yes So a couple of things I wanted, I wanted to talk about here. Her, she mentions she mentions her stepfather used to work on cars with her, uh, but he ever since he's I think she says outright says he's he's died yeah. or he, you know he or at least you know hints at that uh, in the comics. She has lost many of her important family members in drive by shootings in the early on Ironheart comics. I'm pretty sure that that's how her story starts, uh, and so I, I imagine they might be going that route if if you know. But she's in Chicago in the comics and yes. she's in Boston in the she MCU because she goes to school in MIT in the comics and then like just spends time in Chicago when she's not in school. She mm -hmm. also like, since she has a suit that can fly, she kind of like goes back and forth between the two pretty, like pretty frequently. And MIT is becoming a major player in the MCU. Obviously that's where MJ, uh, Ned and that, uh, kid that they're friends with wants to go to <laughs> school. 
uh, in Spider-Man No Way Home. And that's where Tony introduced the barf technology in Captain America Civil War and also had like his guilty conscious moment uh, where he learned about the damage done to a an individual by Sokovia. Um, but yeah, so to Nate Moore, the producer of the movie and the president of production or VP of production at Marvel Studios told us in the interview you can watch on Phase Zero that she's not going to follow us directly in Tony Stark's footsteps, but obviously, you know, has some inspiration and some nods. Like I th- obviously her flying up to the sky and the oxygen thing reminded me of Iron Man 1 when he had the de-icing problem and he just flew too high and ended up falling out of the sky. And it also was reminiscent of Spider-Man literally running out of oxygen in Infinity War until he got the proper suit that could handle it, the Iron Spider suit. So there's clearly nods to comics. There's clearly nods to Iron Man. I personally love the moment where she goes into like the Hall of Armor in the comics and geeks out. She's like, that's the Silver Centurion. She meets Pepper Potts and she eventually meets AI Tony Stark. I don't really care if we get AI Tony Stark, but I do think it would be fun to see her geek out over Iron Man tech, Stark tech. But it seems that that is instead going to be geeking out over Wakandan tech and the opportunities that Wakandan uh, vibranium and resources, you know, and, and technology is going to provide her. So that's cool. It also gave me just straight up Peter Parker, Tony Stark vibes from Captain America Civil War in a sense, like she references movies. That's what Spider-Man was doing. She's got a mentor who's not nearly as old as Tony Stark was, but is clearly a genius inventor, you know, doing all those things. And they have a, you know, almost like a older sibling, younger sibling relationship. So I guess by default that. In, in a superhero film, you're going to be able to say, well, it's kind of reminiscent of that previous relationship. She One, one thing I caught, she said she encrypts her stuff with a quantum computer. Uh, maybe Kang is getting all that Ironheart tech. I don't know. She's storing her info in the quantum realm. What's going on? Maybe. Maybe I'm just digging too much here. Uh, that's, that's all I have to say about Ironheart. Anybody else got anything they want to talk about there? I just loved her so much. She was great. She um, was great. I want to know what, how she going to get that armor out the NSA. <laughs> or damage control. Well, well, it's not illegal. The Sokovia Accords, as we learned in She-Hulk, are are gone. So why did she burn all of her blueprints? Oh, so people wouldn't find them, I guess. Yeah. I, that's what I read from it. It's like, ah. You don't want yeah. the government to have that. Thermite the no. drive, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, trust it. I just, uh, that, it felt like she was hiding something illegal. And I was like, she's not doing anything illegal. She's just an inventor. Why does she need to burn up all her Look at happened to the last thing she invented. It caused a war between an <laughs> underwater no, nation. Like, they did also establish that she was, yeah. like, doing, like, projects for her classmates and stuff. So it's like, even that might be, like, a thing of, like, that could hypothetically get her kicked out of MIT. And so I think she was maybe trying to cover up that, too, on top of, like, whatever else she's inventing or designing in her free time. I don't know. It's funny. She could have saved some time. They destroyed that warehouse. They, they, nothing survived. <laughs> like, I, did oh. they burn down? Did it get exploded? I, I don't I think so. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, the popo showed up, so it probably didn't go well. Oh, she's uh, got an Iron Man suit. Yeah, oh. <laughs> that was honestly, you know, I'm just going to keep digging into Iron Man references. That all that almost reminded me of when Tony put his Iron Man suit on in the cave for the first time and everybody came pointing guns at him and he just sent one. Well, he used fire mm-hmm. and, and a couple rockets and she just sent one blast and was like Phew! straight up into the sky. Uh, so that, that was cool. Clearly, I mean, it's going to be impossible not to make an Iron Man man you know reference and connection when you're talking about iron heart but uh but yeah so she was awesome julia delbo in the comment section said she heard something about an incursion in the first scene in the un i think it was ramonda said the word incursion but it wasn't talking uh, about the multiverse she said there wasn't like you this sort of incursion i forget the exact sentence but she referenced the french army trying to go get the vibranium as an incursion with her people and they took care of that yeah, the, that music that comes on every time the doors are on screen. Oh, so good. Oh, so good. All right. 
A couple more things we have to talk about. We have to talk about what this movie does for Chadwick and T'Challa and his legacy. First of all, the post credit scene, it doesn't recast T'Challa by any means, but it gives us an opportunity to have a T'Challa on screen, which feels like, you know, the most respectful way to keep the name T'Challa, a character named T'Challa, I imagine is going to be reminiscent of the the character T'Challa played by Chadwick Boseman. If this character ever grows up and becomes Black Panther on screen, I imagine that's going to be a very noble character that reflects that legacy and carries that torch forward. Really touching sequence there, introducing him. Rihanna really sending it home. Oh my gosh, just no dry eyes in the theater. Absolute silence during the Marvel Studios logo in every screening I've seen. And that montage at the end. I mean, that... That was just... Yeah. I cannot think of a better way to the the the, the long standing debate of recast don't recast. Uh, I the per, this is the perfect middle ground, and even if um, the recast people I, I, are maybe not one hundred percent happy, I, I just I can't think of a better way to kind of give something to everybody with this choice. I, mm-hmm. I, I, it was, and I I can't believe I didn't see it coming. I felt so stupid. Like I was like, oh, of course, of course, it's just perfect. It was it was truly the best decision they could have made. And I, and I, I think it was a, a, be- a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ending. I completely talking. agree. I, I got goosebumps. Like I get goosebumps even just thinking about it. I also just, it is such a comic booky thing to do of, oh, this character who we have followed for X amount of time, for some reason or another, we're going to now like kind of continue their legacy with their descendant who has a similar name. Like that has happened countless times across the board in superhero comics. I think I, I had heard rumors through the grapevine that there would maybe be T'Challa's kid in this movie, but naming him T'Challa and kind of setting up that ability to continue his legacy eventually at a later date was so brilliant. And I just have to shout out that actor that they cast because he could not be more like Chadwick if you tried. Like they hit the nail on the head. That that kid is just so magical to watch. Like I uh, even just thinking about it has me emotional. It when was you so rewatch good. the film, you'll see he was in the movie earlier. Yes. Yeah. He was there when Ramonda went to visit Nokia the first time. He was playing soccer and he was the only kid who had lines. Spoke French. Yeah. This is why I gotta see this movie again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Man, I, I just, it, it was so weird sitting there with Ari, uh, with my fiance, because we just looked at each other like, Jesus Christ. Oh, no. <laughs> like, when he walked out there, he's so mm. freaking adorable. Mm-hmm. His little his little cheeks. It, it, Can you keep I, a I, secret? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting there in the background like, it's like if you were to ask a four-year-old to imitate Chabacles, and that's probably what you would get, right? <sighs> Very eerie. <sighs> it's gripping. Um I think that all of the recast people, you sort of get your wish, like on a monkey's mm-hmm. paw. You kind yeah. of get what you want in a weird sort of way. And the cast still gets their opportunity to say goodbye on yeah. their terms, uh, which I felt like was really, really important. And even still, I mean, he's not going to be completely the exact same. I mean, his name is mm-hmm. Toussaint, yeah. uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about the Haiti of it all and other stuff, there's like a very loaded, like sure he says, oh, it's a historical name. And he's like, also, I am Prince T'Challa. Like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, little dude. Yes, you are. Uh, Brett, are we allowed to tease anything that comes later? No, let's just leave it. Okay, there. let's yeah. leave it. Okay. Wait, just stay tuned to phase zero. Stay, stay tuned to phase, phase zero. zero. Yeah. I don't know what this is. Me neither. Phase zero. Walking out of the theater, uh, I mean, even like seeing it with my mom last night, like it was just hard to even talk about it. Like walking yeah. out, I was, just, I was just getting choked up just even trying to talk about the ending of this movie. Uh, it was, it's heavy. I mean, Chadwick was such a great person. I mean, 
I feel incredibly fortunate to have ever met him and spoke to him. And he is just like, I mean, he's a light in the room uh, and it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was heavy, man. Um, one Easter egg I, I caught this morning and I'm glad I found this one of on my own. Cause usually, you know, when I do these Easter egg lists, I'll go, go online and see what everybody's caught. And I'll compare how my list compares to everybody else's in this one. I caught this last night and I wrote it down on my phone, the license plate on the van that, Everett Ross was in at the end of the movie. It read CB one, one, two, nine, seven, six. And I was like, ah, oh, it's gotta be like a key issue or something. Let me go look this up. My first thing was like comic book, you know, date of publishing. So I, I Google search November 29th, 1976. That is the day Chadwick Boseman was born. So they had that uh, right in front of our eyes in at the end of the movie. Um, and that was just that. I mean, it's just a, a nice touch. That's just a nice touch. Um, but yeah. I think they did as, as good of a job as you possibly could honoring Chadwick and carrying this torch forward. Cause they were always going to make a black Panther sequel, but they did it. They did a good job. They did a good job. Um, all right. The, the ending of the movie, uh, where does Wakanda stand now is the question I have written down in our notes. Shuri is the black Panther and presumably Umbaku is the new King. Where's this going to go? I feel like there's so many options. I don't know. I feel like because I remember there were there were like reports a couple months ago that were like, oh, Winston Duke just got like a huge pay raise for the sequel and for something else. And so it's like I would not be surprised if down in the down the line, if there is a like Disney Plus special presentation or series or whatever that is just chronicling him dealing with stuff in Wakanda. Like, I think that would be very cool. I, I like this status quo of not having it be Shuri is the like in charge of Wakanda and also the Black Panther. I like the idea of having both of them be elevated but yeah i'm just i'm excited for whatever is in store mm-hmm. it, it very much felt to me like the ending of frozen 2 <laughs> where like they like like actually you are going to be in charge now uh and i that's all i have to say about that i don't know where it's gonna go i have no guesses but i have faith well Will sure you be in kang dynasty oh i don't know she's is she gonna be an avenger now hmm that's that's what it seems like. Or even still, I wonder too, like she seems like she's a little bit older than the other young crop of Avengers, but the way that her relationship is with Riri in this, you could you could find a way possibly for her to be along with the kids. Um mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. Uh which is which is wild to think because she was not on my board of like who's gonna be there with the champions, young Avengers lineup, but it could be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. It's going to yeah. be an interesting new chapter for Wakanda. And it is a place I, I, I remember before this movie, I was thinking, I want to see more of the ground level of Wakanda. And we really, we saw it get destroyed in a lot of ways, but it was like, it really did show you like what people do there, how they live, how some people work, you know, and they showed us some markets. They showed us some people, they showed us just humans in Wakanda. And it was, it was awesome to see the ground level. And I can't wait to go back now that it, we know there's new leadership. There's, you know, they, what, what they've just endured and, gone through and that place just stays together. Got to respect it. Um, but yeah. And uh, one, one other Easter egg I wanted to mention, this is the last talking point I have today, other than the fact that Michaela Cole could have been a little bit more used. I thought uh, she was I have a great. Jamie rant about Michaela okay. Cole. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So we'll, Ooh. that'll be right. At, the only other thing I want to talk about, and then I'll hand it over to you, Jamie, is that Lake Bell was in the beginning of the movie. She's the voice of Black Widow and what yeah. if, and also the voice of Ivy on Harley Quinn. Do we think she's dead? I, I was shocked. I was, first of all, I got so excited. And then I was, she was dead and I had so many feelings and I hope not. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, she I mean, I, she seemed, I don't know how you survived that unless uh, Namor was like, let me go ahead and save this person who's kind of famous by the by the actress playing them. But, but I, it looked like he was just kind of floating up in the dark skies and letting them go down with the helicopter. So, yeah, I think I think that might be it for like Belle in the live action MCU. It's not like he handed them life vests or anything. No, I, I expected her to be like some scientist of note, and then there was just nothing. I would like I I'm fine with it. It almost made that entire sequence feel a little too long then because it was like, oh, we're getting so invested in these scientists mm-hmm. and what they're doing, and then they just immediately it was like a like the the thing almost of just watching all of these people just get absolutely destroyed. And I was like, okay, like I I I was fine with it. It was just such a weird right. direction. And all in the game points. Uh, this is true Freeman uh, Freeman uh, Everett Ross confirmed it in, in his convo with Okoye and Sherry he said he had two two people who were on that mission and I'm assuming the two people were like Bell's character and the guy who was with her um, and he says that his two friends are just gone so I'm assuming that those are the two people and the CIA at least believes they're dead um, all right Jamie Close us out with uh, with your rant here. Okay. Um, first oh of all, I do wish Michaela Cole had been in the movie more, but I think we're going to, I feel like we're going to get more of her. Like, I know we're going to get a show and I'm mm-hmm. not worried about that, but I do have a bone to pick with her specifically uh, because she did an interview where she was like, my character and AO are girlfriends. They're, they're together. Um, and I was like, yeah, a couple. I'm so excited. And then I spent the whole movie like, are they going to have a scene together? Mm-hmm. They, they had one line between them. Uh, and I was like, okay, okay. Was she lying? And then the very end, we do get that sweet forehead kiss, my love, which was great. But if I hadn't known it was coming, I would have lost my mind and been so <laughs> excited by the reveal. But because she spoiled it, it was a letdown. And and that was a bummer because it's like, yes, they're girlfriends. I'm so excited. But like she made it seem like we were going to have like a whole romantic arc. But then we just got a forehead kiss at out at two hours and 35 minutes into the movie. Um, so they better be full on living together, living their best <laughs> lives in this Wakanda show because I was promised something I did not get. I agree completely. I wanted so much more of them. I hope we get it at some point because I love both of them so much. Both Florence Kasumba and uh, Michaela Cole are tremendous performers. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be nice to get them some more screen time. All right. Last thoughts on Black Panther Wakanda Forever spoiler episode. Jamie, what you got? Um, the, the more we talk about this movie, the more I think when I watch it again, I'm going to love it even more. Um, I know I have criticisms of it. I know that it, for me, it wasn't perfect, but ultimately it was an impressive, impressive display of the, what they had to do. Um, and I think they, I said it a million times, but they handled it so gracefully and, uh, and I, I couldn't be more impressed and I can't wait to see it crush at the box office. Quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. It, it opened up on Thursday night, already outdid the first black Panther on its first night. So wow. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where it lands at the end of the weekend. Aaron, what you got for us to end the show today? Um, I just was like very, very excited to actually get to talk with you guys about this because I was listening to the episode on Wednesday, Washing Dishes, and I was like, man, they are having a great time. It's that Squidward <laughs> looking outside and Patrick and SpongeBob are running. Uh I would say as well, I didn't get a chance to say this on the podcast. Uh, I read or at least thought about putting like Sula by Tony Morrison and uh, The Water Dancer by Tadasi Coates and uh, The Murmur of Bees by, I want to say, Sophia Segovia uh, in conversation with this uh, text because especially Sula, like the water and the fire, it's like there's like a sort of lyrical tradition, like a sort of like, you know, textual tradition at play with how, you know, renewal works with both elements. So, uh, if you're thinking about the movie or thinking about grief and how it functions, uh, give those two a, a read. 
Love it. Thank you for the recs, Aaron. Jenna, what you got to send us out of here today? So I'm going to give even more recs. Uh, I always say go read some comics. There are so many comics that you can read based off of this movie. I know Nicole, who was on the show on Wednesday, is putting together like the ultimate Namor reading list because she <laughs> she knows it in and out. And she was texting me yesterday and was even just trying to whittle it down even further because there's so much she wants to spotlight. Um, go read Eve Ewing's Ironheart Run. It will make you fall in love with Riri even more. It'll make you so excited for the show. Um, go read the Doom War storyline from Black Panther because that the 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 energy of that is just all over this movie and it is just such a cool storyline in and of itself so there's just so much you can read and read the things that aaron recommended because i i love all of that as well oh can we shout out uh kevin conroy too Yes, absolutely. I was going to say, if you have not read Kevin Conroy's DC Pride story um, that was published earlier this year, go read it and go watch anything that he voiced Batman in. That man is an icon. I'm still like heartbroken over that loss. But yeah, just go celebrate him because he deserves to be celebrated. I love it. Good call, guys. All right, y'all. That is where we will wrap up today's show. If you have more questions for us, you want to talk more about Black Panther, Wakanda forever, send them to us uh, in the comment section or at any of us on Twitter. uh, And we will try to get to them on next Wednesday's show. Thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe to the channel. Leave five star reviews. We have uh, exclusive interviews. Ryan Coogler and Aaron Perrine is about to hit 100,000 views on our YouTube channel. I think it will do that this week. So that's really exciting. We appreciate y'all for the support. Great job, Aaron, in that interview. Uh, we have an interview with Dominique Thorne, which I am doing as soon as this show ends. I'm going in to talk to Ironheart herself. Yeah. So if anybody has a question, you have approximately one minute to send it to me. And if you're listening to this on a <laughs> podcast, the interview already happened. We have interviews with Simu Liu up on the channel from the Box Lunch Feeding America Holiday Gala, which we got to attend this week. Uh, we're going to have Zochi Gomez, uh, an exclusive interview that's going to publish on the channel later this week. So we get to keep publishing some really fun stuff and having fun with you all. We appreciate you all making that possible for us by liking our stuff, subscribing to our channel and sharing our videos with people. So we will talk to you all soon. Happy Black Panther Wakanda Forever weekend. I hope you all enjoyed it. I can't wait to hear what everybody thought of it. If you send me your tweets on the sinking ship that is Twitter and we will uh, we'll see you there.